All right, well, let's, get, let's, let's keep going with this, this, um, this series that we've been in for the last few weeks. If you are new, that's okay. You jump right in right now. We've been in this series called Faith Unfiltered. It's, it's just look, it's taking a real, real raw look at our faith and the questions we have in our faith, the disillusionment we have, the, the struggles that we have in our faith, with a messiness. Our faith is messy, but it's, but it's a faith in a perfect God. And so how is this perfect God and our messy faith coming together? And a lot of times that comes together because of his love and grace and mercy that understands that it's gonna be messy and he's gonna meet us anyway. And so we wanna, we wanna take a closer look at some of the things that we struggle with in our faith in the midst of this messy faith and know that God's meeting us in it, okay? Well, what I wanna talk about today is a conversation, is part of a conversation that I had with my dad this summer as we're talking through issues and issues of faith. And, you know, he grew up Catholic and he, and he grew up in a lot of ways. He grew up um, really, I don't know if it's, he wasn't allowed to question his faith. It's just he didn't have a place to question his faith. And now he's at a place now where he's starting to go, yeah, well, what about this? And what about this? And he brought this to me. He says, he says Bill, my struggle is that I don't have all the answers. In fact, I don't have many answers. He says, if I have questions around heaven and hell and prayer and sin and human nature and God's presence and why is there evil in the world and evolution and creation, he didn't list all of those, but there was a bunch of those that he had. I just started writing them on my, I just started taking a note on my phone of all the questions that he had. He says, if it's gray, if it's vague, if it's less than clear, it puts my faith into question. And, and I, you know, so we started getting to this, this idea of his desire to have a certainty in his faith. He wanted, he wanted for there to be a certain, he's going, Bill, I can't handle it if it's, if it's vague because, because that makes me feel weak in my faith and, and then it makes me feel even further from th this God that I'm supposed to love. And, and so, so he's just going, I just need it to be certain. And, and I'm sitting there talking to him about it. I'm just going, Dad, I love it that you're wrestling with this. This is actually a sign of your faith that you're wrestling with this. There was an author that wrote this. He says, uh, uh, Miguel de Unamono said this, those who believe that they believe in God, but without any passion in their heart, without anguish of mind, without uncertainty, without doubt, without an element of despair, even in their consolation, believe only in the God idea, not God himself. I, I, I'm gra I gravitate to that because those of us that walk with an anguish of mind and, an, and an, with some element of despair because of a weak faith, he's saying, that's actually a thing that's showing that you, you want to, to enter into this, this issue and struggle of faith and walk in this. Now, I kind of agree with it because I also know that there's some of you that don't walk with an anguish of mind or an element of despair. Some of you walk with a great joy and some of you walk with a, it just in the victory of Jesus and not in the battle. And so I'm not going to say, well, you don't believe in God then. So I, and, and some of that I, I, I d disagree with. But for the most part, I know that there's a lot of us that walk in the battle and in the questions and in the uncertainty. And in those places, it's actually okay for you to ask the questions and for you to struggle in this and, and to go, you know what? I feel like it's weak. Well, then let's talk about that. And my question for us today is, what are you looking for? What certainty are you looking for that would make you feel stronger when it comes to you and your relationship with the Lord? 
I want to look at a passage of scripture that, um, that John actually touched on last week. He, he brought this, this one up um, amongst the different passages that John was talking about last week. Uh, but it's one of my favorite encounters Jesus had with his disciples. It happened after he had lived and had died and risen. And then he appears to them. And this is where he gives us what is called the Great Commission. But there's a really cool interaction that he has with his disciples in this point. It says this. Now, the 11 disciples went to Galilee. They're 11 instead of 12 because Judas had, had killed himself at this point. To the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but they doubted. I love that because, because now some translations will say some worshiped and some doubted. And this one says they worshiped and they doubted. I like both because we can come into here and worship God at the same time have doubts in our faith. Or you can come in here and just go, I'm just doubting. So whether it was the, one or the other, here's, here's the deal. One, come on, find, some, find some, um, some peace in the fact that other people also doubted. That these people that are looking at Jesus, they're seeing him. He's speaking to them. His body is right there, hand, holes in his hands and in his, in his feet and in his side. And they're still doubting. They saw him die on the cross and they're still doubting. What in the world are they doubting? Are they doubting that Jesus is standing before them? Or is it a lot of the other things that are going on? A lot of the other questions that they have of faith. Now what Jesus does is he doesn't separate them out into the doubters and the non-doubters. He doesn't say, all oh, the non-doubters sit over here. You're going to heaven. All you guys that are doubting, you got a lot of work to do. He doesn't do that. He just keeps right on going. And he says, and Jesus came to them and said to them, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Even you that are struggling and doubting, go and help others follow me. Baptize in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. It's what we're going to be doing in a couple of weeks with baptism. He's saying, make sure they remember that my death on the cross and, and my resurrection, make sure they remember that, that that washes us clean because, man, death separated from God because of our sin is not going to win. And, and go baptize them and let them feel that water over them. He didn't even, he, and he didn't say just go baptize a bunch of kids. Baptize anybody. And that, that's part of what I want you guys to think about when baptism comes up in a couple of weeks. This is for any of you to feel that water over you. And for you to go, God has done this for me and has washed me clean in the midst of all the things that I have done and separated myself from God through the sin in my, in my life. They're saying, he's saying, go baptize them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit and teach them to obey all that I've commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the very ends of the age. All authority has been given to him. And he's saying, this is what's important. And he said that in those 40 days before he ascended into heaven. Now, now, when he gets done with that, you can just picture the disciples and the ones that doubted, especially. And you can picture him just um, raising their hand and just going, uh, Jesus, I got a question. You can picture Matthew just going, um, but what do I do about prayer? You know, so if I pray, is that going to change your mind or do you already know what's going on? And if you already know what's going on, will you intercede? And, and so if, if Peter would have been hit by a chariot on the way here, if I would have prayed beforehand, would that have stopped him from being hit by a chariot? God, will you answer some questions about prayer for me? But, but Jesus didn't talk about that. 
You can picture, picture another one, John saying, no, 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 I got a better question. Talk to me about heaven and hell. And, and what's the story there? And what, who's going to heaven and who's going to hell? And how do you decide that? And someone else goes, no, 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 I got a better question. What do we do about, about the, your father in the Old Testament as we read some of that stuff? What do we do about that? Are we supposed to love him or fear him? You know, you could picture them asking all kinds of questions. And Jesus could have spent years answering them. All authority on heaven and earth has been given to Jesus. So he could have stayed for years and years and gone to the masses of people and answered every single question of faith that you've got. But he didn't. In those 40 days, he focused in on what, he, what I would call his majors. I spent some time in the last couple of weeks looking at that and looking at what, what were the primary things that Jesus did in those 40 days. I wrote a few of them down. The first one that I saw that he did is, is he wanted to make sure that the disciples and the people around him knew that this was real. He went to, into that upper room where Thomas was been, had been doubting for a week and he walked up to him and he's going, Thomas, put your hands in the holes in my hands. Put your hand in the hole in my side. I'm not some ghost. I'm not a figment of your imagination. I'm not something that you've created in the midst of your fear and your struggle and your upset. I'm real. He wanted to make sure that they saw that this was real and that death did not win and that this would become their narrative in their life too. That was super important for Jesus to have them hear that. What I also noticed was every encounter he had from this point on in these 40 days were intimate. It wasn't encounters with the large, large groups. It was intimate encounters that Jesus was having. And you could tell Jesus is saying, I want you to know I love you. I want to make sure you hear that, that I love you. Each intimate encounter, you can tell he's leaving with them. I love you. You've got to know that, that, I, that it's real and I love you. And then you can, he, he stresses, and I want you to love as I have loved. I'm going to leave you and I'm going to leave you my Holy Spirit, but I want you to love as I have loved. I want you to remember. I want you to remember when, when, when we went to the leper colony. I want you to remember when we went to the, to the, to the well where that woman was at and, and we extended dignity there. I want you to remember that I asked you to suspend your opinion and to lead with love. I want you to remember that, that I set, knelt down and washed your feet. And I want you to tell other people about that. And I want you to show that to other people by the way you're living your life. That's, that's where we see it, where, where he goes, where he says, uh, make disciples of all nations. Help them to follow me as you have followed me. That's what he's saying to them. That was a major for him. And then I looked at him and going, and he reminded all of us that we would not be alone in this. We wouldn't be alone that he were, he's going to give us that Holy Spirit. And he says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I, I, I'll, I'll never leave you. And that was his majors. Those were the things that he spent his time talking to them about. There were other things that he could have talked about, but those were his majors. But here's the deal. I know that a lot of us would go, yeah, I know those majors too, but still, I still have massive uncertainty around lots of other things around my faith. And that, that, that makes me feel weak. Even though I know the majors, I don't know the rest or I struggle with a lot of it. And so, so, so I don't know what to do with this uncertainty that I have in my faith. 
Well, let me give you a little bit more of a journey, my journey along these lines. Um, when I was a kid, I went to the Catholic Church and I went to Mass every Sunday. And, and in Mass, one of the things that we did is we recited the, the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed. It's a, it depended on which church you went to, but you, you recited this creed. It was basically the confession or the profession of faith from the disciples and the people in that first century. And so, so you look at that, that creed and it's, it's a bunch of I believes. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And I believe in Jesus' only son, uh, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, suffered, died, and was buried. On the third day, he rose again from the dead in fulfillment of the scriptures. I believe in, I believe in the, the, the Holy Ghost, the, the Lord, the giver of life. I believe in the, the resurrection of the dead, the communion of saints, life everlasting. And I totally butchered that. Um, I used to have it memorized. We used to, as kids, used to, um, they'd put it on the over, overhead transparencies and stick it on the wall. And it was super cool as a kid to close your eyes and say it because you're like, I memorized this. And, but now I've totally forgotten it. And all you Catholics out there praying for me right now, I know you are. Um, but, but, but we would say that every week. And if you really think about it, it's kind of cool that you're saying that, that you're saying that, you're confessing that and you're professing that. But there's also very little room, like my dad, very little room for what if you don't believe it? And, and because you say it every single week, it becomes pretty rote to you. And so you're, not, you're, you're just kind of going through the motions. And that's where this relationship becomes religion. Where you're just going through the motions saying it, but you're not engaging in it. You're not asking the questions with it. And so I would go through those days and say those things and say, I guess that's what I believe without really digging into it. Well, then I went to the University of Washington and I went to the college ministry that's there called the Inn. And in that, in that ministry, we'd go to the ministry and then we'd go to church at different churches around town. A lot of us decided to go to Antioch Bible Church in Bellevue. And the reason why we did is because all the Seahawks went there. And, and back then it was like you got to see Cortez Kennedy and Kenny Easley and, and Steve Largent sitting there at church. And so that's good enough reason to go to that church, you know. And so we went to, to Antioch. Well, one, one day there at Antioch, Hutch, the pastor, said, it was speaking from Genesis 1. And he said, he, he went through the, the seven days of creation and he told everybody, if you don't believe that it happened in seven days, you don't believe in the Bible. And he said, so you, you should try to find a different church because we believe in the Bible here. Well, we got, we got back in the car. No one talked to each other about it, but we were stirred up. We're going, uh-oh, what happens if I don't believe that it happened in seven days? I guess I am supposed to believe that, so you do. But then later on that year, John Medina, molecular biologist from the University of Washington, the smartest man I know. I've never met him. He's written books on brain science and, and, and the whole, how, how, does, how, do, how do things work in your brain? And he came up and spoke to us and we didn't understand anything he said. He was way above our heads. But he did say this, he says, do you know, do you know what drew me to the Bible? And we're going, wait, something drew you to the Bible? And he goes, he says, you know what drew me to the Bible? He says, the creation story. And we're going, what? And he says, yeah. He says, think about this, you guys. He says, science back then, 6,000 years before Jesus, they didn't know anything. He says, they thought that the, the, uh, the, the stars were a covering that some deity put over the earth and it had a pattern on it. They believed that the world was flat. They, all kinds of, they said they had all kinds of, of thoughts about science, speculation about science. He says, yet this person that's not even a scientist 6,000 years before Jesus writes that it started with light and then it was water and then it was land and then it was plants, then it was animals, then it was humans. 
And he said, and you ask any of my colleagues today that believes in evolution, and it started with light, and then it was water, and then it was land, and then it was plants, and then it was animals, then it was humans. And he said, there is no way, Moses or whoever wrote Genesis, there is no way they would have got it right unless it was inspired. And that drew him in to scripture. And, and then he says, and you guys, you know what? I believe it happened over millions of years. And he believes in the, what we, we call theistic evolution, that God was at work throughout evolution. And there was a point that God interceded and breathed life into humans and gave them a soul. But it was theistic evolution. He believes it happens over millions of years. We went home that night and we said, one, that was really cool, that whole six-day thing. I mean, it actually still is really cool to think about that, that they, that they did get it right. But then we thought, was that just heretical? Are you allowed to say that? Was that legal to say that it might not have happened in seven days? Man, I'm telling you, that rocked us because we didn't know what to do with it. And so what, what you do and you don't know what to do with it is you take a big old shovel out, you dig a hole, and you bury that one. Evolution and creation, bury it, and then stand on whatever faith you've got. But what's happening over time for, for me is that other things started to get in there. You start asking questions about a theological debate of predestination or free will. And did God predestine some people to go to heaven and others to go to hell? Or do we have the free will to choose? That's a big, thick theological question that churches have been separated from. And we don't know the answer. I don't know the answer, so what do I do? You dig a hole and you bury it. Questions about prayer, you dig a hole and bury it. Questions about, about uh, our humanness versus our holiness and God's at work in me to grow me closer and closer to Jesus, then why is sin becoming, is still so easy for me? That, that challenge of our humanness and our holiness, I don't know what to do with that, Lord. Dig a hole. Stick it in the hole. Questions about, for college students, for us, for sure, it was questions about, does God have a, a perfect plan for us? And that we, I have to go this way. And if I choose the wrong major, did I just go against God's will? If I choose the wrong woman, woman am I going to be living in misery the rest of my life because God had the perfect person and I didn't know? We start asking those questions about God's plan. What do you do? Dig a hole. Stick it in there. Bury it. And then you stand on shaky ground. And you just hope and pray then no one will know what's buried underneath you because then you'll be exposed for the fraud that you are in your faith. At least that's what I feel. Any of you guys feel that way ever? You bury, you bury the doubt, but you know it's there. And you're just going, man, I don't know. I think this is what my dad was talking about. And from this place, from this place, you go, I just want to be certain Will you give me some certainty on that? When we were, that year, 1993, a movie came out, Rudy. And, and Rudy, you know, it's 30 years old now. Some of you are older. You go, of course I know Rudy. Some of you are younger. Goes, yeah, it's that weird sports movie from way back. Rudy was, was, a, was a movie about a guy that wanted to, to play for the Fighting Irish. It was, his, it was his dream. And so he prayed to God to help him get into Notre Dame so he can go play for the Fighting Irish. And it wouldn't happen. And Samwise Ganges, or whatever his name is, he, he's, he's Rudy. And, and so he's, he goes to the priest and he's going, God, why aren't you answer? Why isn't God answering my prayers? Look at what he says as, a reason, as an answer to this. Maybe you can pray enough. 
I shouldn't have thought the problem. Probably gonna stop me doing all the time. Gas is coming constantly. Have I done everything I possibly can? Can you help me? Son, in 35 years of religious studies, I've come up with only two hard incontrovertible facts. There is a God, and I'm not <laughs> That's my favorite part right there, at the very end, where Rudy's looking at him going, that is such a stupid answer. <laughs> He's like, really? That's going to be your answer. There's a God and I'm not him. That's the only. And we walked out of that movie, of course, crying because Rudy, you know, gets carried off the field at the end, all that stuff. I'm sorry to break it to you, but that's 30 years old. You should have watched it by now. Um, but, but, he, but, but the part that we struggled with is going back going, really? Is that the certainty? There's a God and I'm not him? There's got to be more than that. What do you do with passages like Luke 1 that says, know the certainty of what you've been taught? What do you do with the passage in 1 Peter that says, have a ready defense? Come on. There's got to be more than, than there is a God and I'm not him. We were so afraid of the words, I don't know. Because that exposed our weakness of what's buried underneath us. And we so desperately want certainty that we'll go to wherever will give us certainty, including churches. There was a church that started in Seattle right when we were there that grew to one of the biggest churches in all of the country. And the reason why it grew to one of the biggest, country, biggest churches in the country is because the lead pastor came in and said, I'm going to give you all the certainty that you want. I'm going to tell you what everything means. I'm going to tell you that it's this and not that. I'm going to tell you that, that here is exactly what it is. It's predestination. It's not free will. And it's, it's this, what it means, this is what it means with prayer. And he gave them all the certainty and everyone loved it because they're saying, sweet, we finally have someone that's telling us we don't read the Bible enough and you do. And so we're just going to follow whatever you say. And he was blunt and he was arrogant and he knew for sure that this is exactly what you all need to hear. And, he, and if he said it with enough consternation, enough bullying with it, then you'd go, yeah, I guess that's what I'm supposed to believe. And thousands of people followed it because they're saying I just want certainty but I think God is challenging us challenging us to think with our minds for us to look at it and for us to figure out you know some of those places are we going to have to say I don't know are we going to have to say there's mystery and are we okay with that in the midst of that whole journey, this one passage really jumped out at me. It was a passage and it was a parable that Jesus said. And, and it's one that many people know. I loved it when Jesus wrote, talked in parables, these stories that he would tell that helped illustrate what he's trying to tell people because he, it was very simple. And you could tell some of the religious leaders would sit back and go, okay, give, him, give me something deeper, Jesus. And Jesus would just go, man, this is what you need to know. And this is what he said in this, in this parable. He says, everyone then who hears these words of mind and acts on them will be like a wise man who builds his house on rock. When he did these parables, most of the time he would be looking around the area and just going, you know, it's faith as small as this mustard seed and he'd pick a mustard seed. And so with this one, you could picture him just going, you see that bedrock over there? You got to plant it on that bedrock. 
because the rains are going to fall and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on the house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on a rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man. You see that sandbar that's over there? They'd be building on the sand and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and you know what's going to happen. It fell and great was its fall. Now, a lot of pastors will then unpack that and say, so Jesus is saying, put his words into action. And that's absolutely what we should be looking at. But something caught me in that that was a little bit different. What caught me is, what is the rock? What is the rock that I'm building my house on? And what Jesus is saying here, the rock is Jesus and his words. That's the rock the rock is I did rise. The rock is I love you. The rock is follow me and help others to see what this looks like to follow me. The rock is I will never leave you nor forsake you. The rock is Jesus in his words. That's the majors. And I'm looking at that going, this is what I have to step onto. And I have to commit myself to this. This is the, the certainty will be in Jesus, not in whether it happened in seven days or a million years. The certainty will be on Jesus and on his words. That, to me, that, that was that was revolutionary. It was, it was a huge deal in my faith because I had to dig up this other stuff and go, that's not what I'm standing on. I am standing on this rock. So I started in, in, in my life, I started to dig into that more and just go, then let me make sure that I'm standing on the rock. And, and I look at the questions that, that anybody would ask, any, any atheist in the, in, that would ask of, well, how do we know that Jesus even lived? And you start going through that stuff and you just go, oh, you know, he lived because if you, you just have all kinds of proof that he lived, including people that weren't Christians that were writing about that. Josephus, Lucian, people that weren't Christians writing on history will still recognize Jesus, of course, lived in this world, lived, lived his life on this earth. And then you go, well, yeah, but what about his death? And people that question his death, and did someone steal the body? And was it so far, was his tomb so far off that they just, that they weren't paying attention to it? But the more you then study and go, wait a minute, it, one, it was Joseph Arimathea's tomb that would have been prominent in the cemetery. And two, it's the Roman Empire that wanted nothing, that only wanted to squelch this whole thing. The Roman Empire, that the best thing that could have happened is for them to kill Jesus on the cross and have him die and nothing else mattered. But the fact that, that he, he, that, that, the, you know, the, the, tomb, the, the stone was rolled away. They're going, yeah, but what if someone came in and stole that body? You just go, the Roman Empire would have guarded that like crazy to make sure that that hoax of a story wouldn't have continued. So they would have been there. And instead, no, Jesus rolled that stone away and Jesus walked out. And when you start to, to conclude those things, and I love what Earl Palmer said, a lead pastor in Seattle, said, you're not taking a leap of faith, you're taking a step of faith as you gather the evidence. And as I continue to gather the evidence, you're just going, man, this feels like a step of faith. You finally get to that point, you're going, yeah, but was he really Lord? Was he Lord? Or was he just a good teacher? 
And that's where I thank a guy, a, a guy named uh, uh, McDowell that wrote a book called Evidence Demands a Verdict and another book called uh, uh, um, More Than a Carpenter. Josh McDowell wrote those books. And what he said in there is he said, look, you can't just conclude that Jesus was a good teacher because he said all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. He said he is the son of God. And he said those claims would either have you conclude that he was a liar, he lied to everybody, or he was a lunatic, he was crazy for saying those things, or he truly was Lord. You can't conclude he was a good teacher and hear those things without concluding he was also a liar, or that he was crazy, or he was Lord. And as you start putting more and, and do more research and you start thinking more about that stuff and you know the Holy Spirit's at work too to help you, you step onto that rock and you're going, this is solid ground. Now, now, what do we do? What do we do about, about those passages? Always be ready to make a defense to anyone who demands from you an accounting for the hope that's in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. What, what do we do about that passage to always have a, a, a ready defense? We got to remember where that was written. That's Peter written in the time of Nero. When Christians were being crucified everywhere, they're being slaughtered everywhere. And he's saying, have a ready defense for the hope that's in you. What's that hope that's in you? That's this rock. Have a ready defense when you're going to be generous when everything's being taken from you. Have a ready defense when people are, 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 are beating you up and instead you're going to love them anyway as an enemy. Have a ready defense when, when you're, you're, you're going to Wash someone's feet when you deserve to have your feet washed. Why would you do something like that? Because I'm standing on a rock that is Jesus and his love for me. But what do you do about the other one that, that Luke says, with, with this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things in which you've been taught. What do we do about the certainty? Well, you got to look at Luke. He was writing what? A gospel. A gospel is the good news. He wrote, he, there, there were certain things that Luke stressed in his good news of Jesus. He stressed that it was to religious and, not, and to non-religious people because that's what Jesus stressed. He stressed, the, he talked about women and children and social justice. You see that throughout Luke because that's what Jesus stressed. These are the things that crowded around Jesus, women, children, social justice, prayer. He talked a ton about prayer. It crowded around him. The Holy Spirit and joy, it crowded around him. Sharing this news with others, it crowded around him. The major, that it's real and he's with us and he loves us and he wants us to love others. The things that crowded around him become the things that need to crowd around us. And then we start living that out with that certainty. And the rest of it, you guys, the rest of it is still important. They're the words of God and the actions of God and the commands of God. We need to know those things. But is it okay in the midst of all the rest of it to say some of it, I don't know? Or even better, is it okay to say, my brother or sister sees it differently than I do? 
But we both stand on a rock that is the love of Jesus. And so even though we see it somewhat differently with some of those things, with humility, we hold them open. And I don't know exactly what it is, but I'm going to lean and stand on the rocks and the majors and the things that crowded the majors. Whether it happened in a million years or seven days, didn't come up. And I know I'll probably get an email from someone saying, no, 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 that's a major. And I'm going to say, I'm not betting my life on either one of those two. Whether it happened in seven days or millions of years. I love reading it because it tells me the character of God and it talks to me about the, the chaos that once was and that God breathed life into the chaos. But then there was a separation and that's why we need Jesus and it points us right back to the major. We gotta know the character of God through that, but we gotta hold it open. And if you're like my dad and me and you feel wobbly, ask yourself, what am I standing on? And sometimes even ask yourself, have I drifted? And has that one thing become my major? I've seen that a lot. Where, and I'll even ask people that. I'll, I'll sit down with you and I'll just say, when did that one thing become your major? Because Jesus wants us to know that it's real, that he walked this earth and he lived and he died and he rose. He wants us to know that he loves us. He wants us to make sure that we are loving as he loved and he wants us to make sure that we are not alone. Step on that rock. Find certainty in that rock. And we hold the rest here saying, Lord, we want to explore the mystery of the journey of faith with you. Father, we pray that in the midst of this, in the midst of this, this journey, with the questions that we do have, we pray that you would meet us. You'd remind us of what is most important. You would let hold us to what is most important. I pray that every single person in this room, every, every person in this room and every person online that listens, I pray that they would step onto a bedrock of who you are, Jesus, and that they would find great hope and joy and peace on that bedrock because the storms will come, but that one won't be shaken. Meet us in the journey. It's in your name we pray. Amen.